How would you describe the Boogeyman Boogie to somebody who has not seen Nightmare Before Christmas? What does the Boogeyman look like on screen in this movie? He is a burlap sack full of bugs that has a gambling addiction, is how I would describe him. I think that is an excellent description. Uh, <laughs> Meet Sarah and Samantha. Two cousins obsessed with exploring the vast pop culture landscape, one recommendation at a time. In each episode, one clueless cousin shares real-time reactions as they navigate the twists and turns of a pop culture topic selected by the other. From travel to movies, Little Debbies to trashy novels. Get ready to eavesdrop on the candid reactions and dynamic conversations you can only have with family. This is Foreign and Familiar. Welcome to Foreign and Familiar. I am Samantha. And I'm Sarah. Sarah, it's great to see your face. It's been a, a little bit since we've seen each other, sat down and recorded some episodes. Yeah, it's great to see you too. I mean, we talk all the time, but not face to face. So this is this is great. And I think what's really interesting about this is this is the first time we're sitting down and recording some episodes after our podcast has launched and is out in the mm-hmm. wild. And uh, it's it's been a pretty I don't intense isn't the right word, but um, interesting time as we've had our podcast kind of come out and we're getting some feedback. It's it's pretty cool. I'm I'm excited to kind of record these next few episodes. Yeah, our little baby's all grown up. Uh, well, I don't know about that, but it's out in the world. So that's about it. We have yeah. some edits that we know we have to tighten up on, but it's left uh, the nest at least. It has left the nest. Yes. Um. So again, welcome to the Fo- Foreign and Familiar podcast. If this is the first time that you're listening to us, Sarah and I love to podcast with something sweet. We have an insatiable sweet tooth and our snack of choice is always first and foremost, li- Little Debbie Snack Cakes. Of course. Of course. So uh, today, prior to us jumping in and talking about uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, which I'm so excited to dig into, I know we have some differing uh, opinions on that 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 we're Mm going to get into. But I would love to talk about real quick, quick rundown on the Little Debbie fall lineup of seasonal treats. And the three that we're going to be reviewing today is the fall party cake, which is a white cake, white middle, white icing with some seasonal sprinkles, a pumpkin delight, which I think would be a ginger or a cinnamon cookie. It's not ginger, maybe a cinnamon cookie with a pumpkin jam in the center that's shaped like a pumpkin, a jack-o'-lantern, and then a pumpkin spice roll, which many people know the Swiss rolls, which are the chocolate with the white cream in the center, the ho-hos, um... And this is the fall autumn variety. It is a pumpkin spice cake with the white cream in the center. So Sarah, quick snappy review on those three. How would you rank them? And what are your thoughts overall on the fall lineup? So ranking least favorite to favorite, I would go fall party cake, uh, pumpkin spice roll, and then pumpkin delight is my favorite of those three. Um, how would, would you rank them the same way? No, I would put the pumpkin spice roll as last. Okay. The fall party cake is second. And then probably the pumpkin delight. We share that as first. First, right. So let's go. Here's the thing. I think with the fall party cake, it is the, you get that all year round. There's nothing truly special other than some autumnal 
uh, colored sprinkles <laughs> on the right. top, I think. so. And the box has, like, leaves on it. <laughs> it has leaves on it, and it says right. it's a fall party cake. Um, so for me, that's kind of a non-factor. Um, but the... Do you want to do best or worst first? I mean, I guess we both say the pumpkin delight. So let's talk about that. That's the best one. Yeah. What do you like about the pumpkin delight? For me, it's nostalgia more than anything. I think I pumpkin delight has always been like my favorite of the fall lineup. I mean, like middle school, high school, it was in my lunchbox every day going to school. So I think it's more just that I remember having it more so than enjoying the taste because it doesn't have a ton of flavor. Um, Actually, when I was eating them, I found myself like kind of nibbling around the outside of it because there's no like jam or filling or anything there. And then saving the middle part for last where there was the, I don't, I don't know, like pumpkin, like a, it's like an apple butter style, like thick pumpkin-y something or other. I refer to it as orange goo because there's really not orange a ton goo. of flavor. I didn't right. know really what it was. I would say that I ranked it the best. First of all, I love hearing that Little Debbie has been a part of your childhood and all that. I think that's something we need to say. It's, it's you know, we kind of grew up on Little Debbies, which is why we eat them. Exactly. But I think um, it's the least offensive of the three to me. And that's why it's ranked. It just, to your point, it tastes like nothing at all. Um, the fall party cakes we already talked about, but these pumpkin spice rolls, I was so excited for. I totally understand why people want to do fall and bring that in. And pumpkin spice is all the mm-hmm. rage today. There is a difference between pumpkin spice and cinnamon. And What these Little Debbie offerings are, to me, the palette was solely a cinnamon roll. It was overwhelming. It tasted like I was chomping a piece of Big Red with some white cream in it. (laughs) And it was not my favorite. It was not my favorite. Right. I've been, I've just been loving anything in roll form lately. Like, we talked about the zebra cakes versus the zebra cake rolls and how those are more palatable. And I... So I I was excited because it was a roll and I thought the balance of the cake and the icing was good. Um, I definitely agree, though. Like there's no pumpkin flavor at all. It is very much just like a spice roll. It was just a spice cake, spice roll. So I think if they would get rid of that and it would more accurately describe it um, and I probably would pass on it. I would say so real quick, you know, as we're wrapping up the discussion here. Uh, I would say walk past all of the seasonal autumnal varieties and go for your classic standard Little Debbie. Um, how about mm-hmm. you? Would you? What would you recommend? I mean, I I would definitely agree. Though I think we've established my love of cosmic brownies, and there are pumpkin brownies, so I'm going to go for a brownie most of the time. Yes, but the pumpkin brownie, to be clear, is just a brownie shaped like a pumpkin with icing on it. It's It's, not like a pumpkin-flavored brownie. No, it is exactly the same as every other brownie. Except delicious. So delicious, basically, is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Yeah, it's the same level of deliciousness, just in a different shape. All right, so let's get into this, hitting our questions. First off, Sam, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the 1993 Claymation Stop Motion Classic, Tim Burton Presents the Nightmare Before Christmas. 
Amazing. And why did you recommend this movie? I recommended it for a couple different reasons. I had not watched it when I was growing up or a little bit younger, but what I'm finding is that it's making its way into my seasonal rotation of mm-hmm. viewing. And I think we're going to have a conversation later in the episode about whether it is a Halloween or a Christmas movie, which there is a ton of debates on both sides. Right. Um, but really, I've just kind of been watching it over the past couple years. I've really enjoyed it. And I thought that you might enjoy it because I know that you tend to like Tim Burton, like his projects. And so when I found out that it is not something that you had seen or, to your point, had not seen in a in an incredibly long time or didn't have a memory of it, it seemed like it would be a great fit for the pod and for the episode. Yeah, definitely. And um, we can get into my love of Tim Burton, which I didn't really even like process until I was thinking about it for this pod. Like I watched a lot of Tim Burton growing up. I just don't think I knew it, but um, we can get into that as we talk about the cast and everyone involved in the movie. Are we talking like Batman, Tim Burton? Are we talking Edward Scissorhands? All of it? All of it. All of it. Okay. Uh, Yes, we're definitely going to have to unpack that. Um, For (laughs) sure. But let's start off with like what besides cast and we can talk about everyone involved. What other info do our listeners need to know if they're not familiar with this movie? So the first thing I would say is that We are celebrating the 30th anniversary of it this year. It came out in 1993. Sarah, I do not mean to put you on the spot. I should know this answer. Were you born when this movie came out? I was not. Oh, God. And, like, meanwhile, I remember it coming out, and I remember the characters were in the McDonald's Happy Meals, and... Mm -hmm. My soul just died a little bit on the inside. (laughs) Gosh, I I think uh, just a couple things for people to know if you're not familiar with Tim Burton presents The Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton did not direct it, but it is his brainchild. It was conceived by him. And Mm -hmm. it is the traditional claymation stop motion uh, medium that we have here. So no CGI, no illustration. And so... I think what's really important to know if you're watching this and we look at the runtime as a very tight 72 minutes. I mean, from the beginning to when the credits start, it's, it's a very mm-hmm. compact story, which we will get into, but, um, it took 24 frames a second, meaning that they had to move and pose all of the characters 24 times for one second of film. One minute of film took, um, a week to, produce and so i think it's just important for our listeners to know if you're watching this uh the amount of production and effort that has gone into it and i think that that is why it has maybe become a cult classic over the time right Right. i don't have any patience to have done that on my end um at all at all right same i think the other thing to remember is that we have a really great cast here uh, Chris Sarandon is the voice of Jack Skellington. And honestly, what I really enjoy about the pod is I get to do some research here. He is right. the Sarandon that has given Susan Sarandon her last name. So that is, you know, 
his relation is that he is the Sarandon. Um, he also played Prince Humperdinck in Princess Bride. Right. That's what I know him from. Okay. So I was not even familiar of who he was until I Googled Prince Humperdinck. But what a role. I mean, what a classic role. Now we all know it's it's Chris Absolutely. Sarandon. Yeah, so he was at uh, Steel City Con, which, Sam, I know you're going to be experiencing in a couple of weeks for the first time, and I'm so excited. But um, he was one of the celebrities that was at Steel City Con in, oh, I don't even remember, December of last year, maybe, 2022? Um, Maybe it was April. Um, But I got a picture with him because... I knew he was Prince Humperdinck, and I was really excited about that. Had no idea he was Jack Skellington until I saw the lines of people with all of their Nightmare Before Christmas merch waiting to get it signed. I, I had no idea. This is lining up so great for you, I think. You know, you you know and have met Chris Sarandon, maybe. You like yeah. Tim Burton. <laughs> I've... Um, what else was a surprise for me is that Sally is played by Catherine O'Hara every, of Home right. Alone, Schitt's Creek, like all of that. I had no idea that that was her um, either. Mm-hmm. Paul Rubens, rest in peace. Um, and I, oh. it, he's in it. And then I think what's really interesting is that Dan- Danny Elfman is the composer and he is just a prolific mm-hmm. composer. Him and Tim Burton partner together i think it's been about 20 projects he's done all of the score for sam raimi's spider-man goodwill hunting desperate housewives uh but was what was really interesting that i wasn't aware of is that he provides the singing voice for jack skellington and so that was just a little bit mind-blowing on a rewatch here on just knowing how talented Danny Elfman is from a musical right. perspective. But then hearing his voice and hearing it go through, I just thought it was super uh, excellent. Yeah. Do you Did you find a reason for why he did the, the singing voice? No, I didn't. I I can't I've I heard it one time and I honestly forgot to look it up and I can't remember what it is. So maybe we can post it on Instagram if we figure it out. But I swear it was like he didn't trust anybody else to perform it the way he thought it should be performed or something like that. I I, I know that there was a reason. I just can't remember what it what it was. I think that sounds about right. Like during my research, what I had seen is that he wrote the score and maybe had recorded the score before the movie was really even written. And so that would make sense. I just don't know of any other scenario or situation where I've ever heard Danny Elfman sing, but right. So, so it was fun to kind of do a little bit of research on it. Like I said, it's, it's entered into my seasonal rotation and uh, to then see the cast and see everybody involved. Like you understand why it was a, cult classic or why it has that cult classic uh, vibe on it. Right. So I think, you know, we're going to head to break real quick. When we come back, we are going to give a high level plot overview and discuss all of the makings of Nightmare Before Christmas. So right after the break, we'll be back.
All right, we are back here at Foreign and Familiar. Today we are talking about The Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, Sam, you were the familiar one this time around, so give us a quick overview of the plot, what's going on in this movie. Yes, overview of the plot. Jack Skellington is the pumpkin king of Halloween Town, a place where it is Halloween all year round. There are ghouls, there are goblins, there are things that make things that go bump in the night and scare you. And uh, he, let's call it a midlife crisis. Maybe it's hard to tell. He's he has a little he skeleton. Has a, like a- he has like a complex or something. A crisis of conscience. Um, his Jack Skellington uh, wants to know if there is something more out there. He's tired of it being Halloween every day. And so he ends up meandering into a forest where he sees a variety of different trees that have doors on them. Each door mm-hmm. represents a different holiday. And he is drawn to the door with the Christmas tree on it, visits uh, Christmas Tree Town visits Christmasville. Uh, there's an appropriate name for it that is escaping me right now. Um, it surveys what Christmas is, what it's like, and decides he is going to bring it back to Halloween Town and also step in for Santa Claus. And chaos ensues uh, between both Halloween Town and Christmas Town as they start experiencing each other's holidays for the first time. That's that's what I would say. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. So, Sarah, first question I have. If you were walking in the woods one day and there were tons of trees that had holidays painted on them and you weren't aware. So let me go back to what the options were. It was St. Patrick's Day, Easter, Valentine's Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Halloween, which I thought was an eclectic and interesting mix of holidays. Let's start there. Uh, it's like St. Patrick's Day. Like, I mean, although Thanksgiving. I, well, Thanksgiving, I think. But like St. Patrick's Day, it's like, do they eat corned beef and cabbage every single day? Because sign me up. Um, Probably. Leprechauns, maybe. Valentine's yeah. Day, I guess you figure Cupid. Easter was surprising right. to see that as an option, I thought, as well. Um, mm-hmm. But which one of those five, if you could pick any, and we're assuming Halloween Town is out of the mix uh, because... That's where Jack is coming from. Which door would you open? What, right. what would be behind the door and, and which door mm. would would you open? I would probably pick the St. Patrick's Day one. If I were like if I were Jack coming from Halloween Town, I feel like that would be polar opposite. I'm assuming like lots of greenery, rainbows, blue skies. I, I think that that would be the one. Leprechaun plus lucky charms. Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to go to Ireland. I know we have a trip to Ireland coming up, so that seems like a win for me. Which one would you pick? I would pick Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Full stop. Mm. I love the food. I love the lounging. I, that's my favorite. But I think if I were Jack and I were looking at what was on the door and there's just a turkey on the door for Thanksgiving and I had no semblance and or understanding of what it could possibly be, I think I probably would have either done Valentine's Day with the heart or the Christmas. I mean, the Christmas tree door does look really nice in the movie. I mean, it is all. It does. He's very curious by that. But um, yeah, it's definitely the most ornate of the doors. Right. Right. And then, you know, he goes in and it's Christmas town. So um, Mm -hmm. so getting without, you know, going necessarily plot by plot here, because 
uh, you know, we're, we're going to talk about a couple different things going on. Let's do just a quick uh, character recap here. So I think we've talked about Jack a little bit. He is the skeleton. Mm-hmm. He is the pumpkin. He is the pumpkin king. And uh, the main character of the movie, Sarah, snappy thoughts on him. What do, what do we think about Jack? He needs some help. Oh. <laughs> he's, he's having a crisis. And nobody besides Sally. Sally does. But she doesn't try to talk him out of it. She's just like, oh, I'll help you. He just needs, like, somebody to talk him down from his whatever's going on. I don't think that there's really any explanation on why all of a sudden he decides that there has to be more. But quite frankly, I do think that those midlife crises, crises, crises do come about like that all of a sudden. So maybe, right. <laughs> maybe it is accurate uh, to what people are coming through. You know, I think he's very smart. I think that he's really mm-hmm. committed to learning. I, I think his heart is in the right place, even though everything becomes a disaster. Um, yeah. But I think that his heart is in the right place. And I don't find him to be super offensive, right? He's just a little skeleton walking around trying to figure it out, you know? Right, right. And and in all of this, he he truly never intends to harm anyone. He genuinely wants to help and contribute to society, I guess. I don't know. Because, like, I guess Halloween Town is responsible for Halloween. So he wants to continue bringing joy to people just in a different way. Uh, so yeah, he, I mean, no, nobody gets hurt. There are just some sad, scared kids at one point, but it, it's all very harmless. It is an, it is errors in enthusiasm. Let's say there's, there's yeah. not intentionality there. Switching gears right. a little bit to Sally, who is the love interest played by Catherine O'Hara. Um, mm-hmm. I felt like with her, I mean, she is really daring she's but but like anything she holds him down right she sees he is going through a path that she gets premonitions that it's all going to end in ruin she tries to talk to him of course as is the case in all of it he can't be bothered to listen to her he's gonna go right to christmas town and he's gonna ruin christmas for christmas town again whether it's intentional or not there is something about taking counsel and he kind of, you know, brushes her aside. But I think her as a character, you know, cleaning up his messes all around um, right. is it, it's also endearing. Trying, yeah. And w- cleaning up his messes while also trying to figure out like her role too. Right. Cause she's like this patchwork person um, that's kind of locked up by doc- Dr. Finkelstein, Mm -hmm. Finkelstein, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's like trying to, you know, figure out what she wants, which is to, she's curious. She wants to explore. She wants to like see what's on the outside and doesn't really get many opportunities to do that. But honestly, I don't even think Jack knows she exists until like 40 minutes in. Yeah. She sends up a care package to him or something. And then he sees that she's there and she definitely knows her way around Halloween town. I mean, there isn't a potion mm-hmm. or a, a trick that she doesn't have. I'm not sure um, what her role is necessarily with Dr. Finkelstein. 
I like him just for no other reason than the scene, the famous Nightmare Before Christmas scene where his head opens up and he scratches his brain, you know? Um, right, right. So uh, I, I think she's a good uh, she's a good character. I, I really feel like mm-hmm. on a rewatch, she's – and I hate to say it, but she talked a lot more than I remembered because people just absolutely ignore her the whole time. I – do you think she gets her due at the end? Santa Claus says she's the only one that has any sense around Halloween time and all of you guys should be listening to her. So I'm like, that's allyship, Santa Claus. Thank you. You have nothing yeah. to gain from that. <laughs> you are helping a woman gain her voice in Halloween town. So exactly. Jolly old Saint Nick comes through on that one. Good old Sandy Claus. Uh, so when we're looking at, you know, the other main one, I, I got two more here. Uh, to mm-hmm. come through a bit, which would be uh, the mayor of Halloween Town, who has two completely different faces and dispositions. Uh, any thoughts on him, Sarah? I I really liked him. I think at some point I had thought he was a villain character, so I was surprised to find out that that wasn't really the case. I don't know where I got that idea. I I have no idea. I think it's because um, his second face is painted and terrifying, and, and that's you know that's the what he's emotion. Probably. I think that that's I I understand why you think that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I I liked him. I, I thought he was entertaining. I think he was entertaining too. I like that his head turns the full way around, and you get immediate feedback. Right. I think that that yeah. would provide. <laughs> A lot of sense, especially if you were dating him and, you know, things were getting romantic. You could know right away what floats his boat. You know, his head, like, turns around. He goes back and forth. Um, He has no poker face. (laughs) No poker face, no. And, um, you know, but he kind of runs it around. And then I think the last one on this list of characters here is the boogeyman. How would you describe the boogeyman to somebody who has not seen Nightmare Before Christmas? What does the boogeyman look like on screen? in this movie he is a burlap sack full of bugs that has a gambling addiction is how i would describe him i think that is an excellent description uh wow and that's like not even you being harsh i think that that's true no let's talk through the gambling addiction a little bit because that's so interesting i don't know i picked up a little bit of that coming through but but what makes you (laughs) this gambling addiction so he's the true villain i would say of the film um so toward the end like he ends up kidnapping santa and sally and he's gonna dump them into like this vat of acid or lava or something like he's gonna just get rid of them and the whole time he's singing about it and, like, rolling these dice to figure out, like, how much further he's going to move the table that they're on to slide them in. Like, everything revolves around the dice. It's the first thing that comes out whenever you're introduced to Oogie Boogie. Like, we were in his lair. Santa Claus is there. Here come these dice. The music starts. And in walks this burlap sack full of bugs. So I think it's a major point. So I I would... I noticed the cards that came up. They're they're the King of Spades, all of that. That starts coming up. But I will say that it's so hard to say if the boogeyman is the villain or not. I mean, I guess he is, but Santa Claus is 
Santa Claus is kidnapped on the orders of Jack Skellington, right? And people right. go into Santa Claus Town. And so, and they send him down to the boogeyman. So I think that they know what the boogeyman's going to do, right? Um, right. And then for people that haven't seen it, that's also Jack can go and play the role of Santa Claus, which he calls Sandy Claus, C-L-A-W-S. Right. Um, and then he unintentionally, but it doesn't really matter, tortures Christmas Town. I mean, he replaces toys with severed heads. He... <laughs> unleashes snakes that are eating christmas trees um he is shot down like for for all the holiday cheer and the hustle and bustle they are very quick to go like employ nuclear weapons on jack skellington to get him out of there (laughs) um i digress though um when we talk about the boogeyman I i have to say i mean i guess he is the bad guy but to me he's the highlight of the film i think Mm -hmm. the uh scene and the song between the boogeyman and santa claus is so creative and so funny and um i am going to play i have it teed up here sarah i am going to play uh just a little snippet for our listeners that may not be ready so to set or may not be familiar so to set the stage here this is when the boogeyman is meeting santa claus for the first time sizing him up and down and realizing uh uh, I think I'm good. Like, you're not much competition for me. So I'm going to play right. that clip real quick here. You're choking me. you got to be. This can't be the right guy. He's ancient. He's ugly. I don't know which is worse. I might just split a seam now if I don't die laughing first. There's trouble close at hand. I think what I appreciate about the boogeyman is his commitment to showmanship. Absolutely. He, I mean, the, the voice, the performance, 10 out of 10 on Oogie Boogie's part. And here's the thing. Maybe it's not a gambling addiction. Maybe it's that he is a cabaret, a a retired cabaret singer from Vegas. Maybe. (laughs) He's got, shortage he's got like you know flying heads coming out and skeletons everywhere and you know so to me i think uh that is probably uh the highlight for me if whenever he's on screen and he comes about halfway through the movie I, i just think that that's always when i am most engaged even though i would agree with you he is gross and just Gross. Um, just to reiterate, Sarah is not being mean or facetious. He is a burlap sack full of worms and maggots and stuff. And so, you know, when he bursts at the seams, for lack of a better term, I did find myself yesterday when I was just rewatching it being like, ew, like, it's a bit. Right, right. Like, that's not a figure of speech at all. He is like, when he is defeated at the end, it's literally this the sack is like ripped off of him and it's just bugs that are in the shape of his body but, like but you, i'm not being like but, critical at all that's what it is what's great about it though is that santa claus gets it gets yes. his come up it's in the end and he smashes one of the bugs and it's right it's like a i don't want to say it's like a chuck norris santa but i mean it I, I don't know. I also like that the Santa Claus in this has a little like man bun. 
Yeah, I love a Sano with a little bit of a naughty side. Oh, Sarah. <laughs> this is not a personal podcast. I don't know what you're talking about. Late night confessions. No, I agree. I mean, I think there's so many Santas. But he was like sick of Jack's. He was sick of it. He's like, right, you right. guys are insane. I got to go back and save Christmas. Listen to Sally. And quite frankly, this was a horrible experience. I will not be coming back to Halloween Town. And I cannot say that I blame him. The hospitality, like, you know, it's a motel in hell or something like that, you know? Right, right. Where the boogeyman is the manager. And the real crime might be having to listen to his cabaret. But I do have to say I enjoyed it. So it's hard I to tell. I did too. If you are yeah. coming from Christmas Town, though, and you are subjected to it, like, I do understand it. So. Right, right. Especially if you then have to go clean up their mess. Absolutely. So, okay, Sarah, we're, I think, you know, we've run down some of the characters, some of the plot topics here. Why don't we throw it to break? And when we come back, we're going to get your snappy judgments on it, but also get into the debate here on if it is a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie which there are tons of opinions and tons of written articles. And so we will get into that after the break. All right. Welcome back to Foreign and Familiar. We are discussing The Nightmare Before Christmas. Sarah, there is a ton of debate on Nightmare Before Christmas on whether it is a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie. And mm -hmm. so before we get into some of the supporting arguments, I've done all this research on both sides. I fit very firmly on one side of the spectrum. And we have not talked about it before this moment right now. So I'm excited right. to hear where do you fall and why? For me, this is a Halloween movie, not a Christmas movie. Um, the, I feel like if you were to count time of how much of it is like in Halloween Town or with like Halloween looking things versus how long they're in like Christmas Town or with like very Christmassy looking scenes, that it's much more Halloween Town. Um, and even the Christmassy parts in Halloween Town are still not very Christmassy because <laughs> like, like we said, they're giving like severed heads as gifts and like making hats out of roadkill. Like it's, it's not holly jolly bright and colorful how I usually like to go for Christmas movies um, and even just like the 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 vibe or the the lesson like nobody's getting reunited with their family at the end nobody's learning like oh I don't need all of these things to be happy there's there's none of that that I would associate with Christmas movies it's like oh I guess Halloween's my thing I should stick to that so Halloween for me. What about you, Sam? So for me, it is a Christmas movie. <laughs> and I feel, wow. I know. Well, like, that's why there's good debate that's that's coming yeah. on here. So I would say it's a Christmas movie for a couple different reasons. But I think the primary thing of it for me is that Jack is looking for something more. And it is the spirit mm -hmm. of Christmas that he is drawn to that he wants to bring back to Halloween town, right? He, it's right. all about it. Like the song, what's this at the beginning. And he's 
discussing what Christmas is and there's snow and people are so happy and it's so different from Halloween. He wants to bring it back mm-hmm. to Halloween town and he wants to, um, you know, participate in Christmas. It is Christmas right. and the spirit of Christmas that fills his heart and even though it's a dumpster fire and a disaster because it's <laughs> Halloween town, it is, it is his goal for, uh, to bring Christmas there. I also think that, uh, you know, people, Christmas town does not enjoy Halloween, but Halloween enjoys, right. Halloween town enjoys Christmas at the end, right? True. Santa True. gives them snow and it's kind of the purpose so for me i believe that it is a christmas movie and traditionally when i say it gets into my seasonal rotation i will watch it in december this one it's october right now um this is the first time i've kind of watched it in this time of year Uh, so i Mm -hmm. view it as a christmas movie personally personally interesting now Do you have any thoughts on that before we get into some of the other debates? I mean, I can definitely see it. I'm wondering if this could work as like a November movie for me, right? Like after Halloween is over, but before Christmas, because it's kind of that middle ground. I don't know. Maybe I'll try it again in November and see if it works. I think we could say it's a year. It's an end of the year movie for sure. So to kind of set the stage here and we are going to put a question at the end of the podcast we're going to run it on our instagram because regardless of all this we want to hear what people say this is highly highly debated um so a couple cases some things that i've reached reached for it was nightmare before christmas was very recently ranked as the number one film on rotten tomatoes top 25 best christmas movies list oh wow so that is the audience that was self-voted that says it is uh, a Christmas movie. I think you have Jack dressing up like Santa Claus. Now, right. some things over on the Halloween supporting side of it. The movie was released October 29th, 1993. Mm-hmm. So that leads you to believe that the studio felt that the horror aspect of it was going to play to audiences from a Halloween perspective. Sure. Another thing to say, just going back real quick before I go back into the Mm -hmm. Halloween side, because you know it's impossible for me to let anything go. Christmas (laughs) is in the name of the movie. Christmas is in the name of the movie. It's Nightmare Before Christmas, okay? But it was released on October 29th, 1993. We are dropping this episode on Halloween, on Halloween Tuesday. It is Halloween. We were talking about this. So there has been a lot of debate back and forth. So finally, it made its way up to the director and up to Danny Elfman. And they were asked point blank if it was a Christmas movie or if it was a Halloween movie. And I'm going to pull Uh up the direct quote any guesses on what um, they said? Oh, okay. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say they said Christmas. And I quote, okay, okay, this is from the Pioneer Woman magazine. So interesting. Like, but but here's the thing. That is to say <laughs> that the debate has reached 
the Food Network personalities in which they are writing articles. And this was published June 30th of 2023. This is a recent article. Okay. And there was a Q&A about it at Colorado's Tell You Ride Horror Show Film Festival in 2015. And the answer has been very clear. They say, and I quote, it's a Halloween movie. Wow. It is a Halloween movie. Um, So I think that obviously it is very hard to uh, overshadow what they are saying uh, because they are the ones that made the movie. I still believe, even with them saying that, that it is a Christmas movie because I do believe the plot and the heart of it is what you see in other movies um, which is that Christmas can fill the void of your life. So true. But we're going to have to kick it over to our um, listeners to weigh in on. And I will say this, Sarah, one interesting fact, because you do know this movie is under the Disney umbrella, right? It was right. not released under Disney because they thought it was a little bit too mature. But now they Disney's claiming it. It's on Disney Plus um, and all of that. Yeah. As the Disney adult in this pairing, um, <laughs> because that's what you are, I thought it would be interesting to know that Disneyland, Disney puts it in both categories. So Disneyland has given its Haunted Mansion holiday attraction a Nightmare Before Christmas theme for the holiday season. So they make it part of their Christmas plans at some of the parks. But then they mm-hmm. also include it in Mickey's Halloween Party, Hallow Wishes, Not So Spooky right. Spectacular Fireworks at the Magic Kingdom. And mm-hmm. so they toe the line and they use the property for both. So I think you could right. make a case for both. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but maybe that's because I'm falling opposite of what the, the director and cast says. <laughs> We're going to take a poll and we're going to publish the poll results on, on our Instagram. Yeah. I don't think so either. I think it's just whatever makes you happy. Like, it makes me... If this were a movie that I was going to put in my regular rotation, and I don't know that it is, I would. it would make me the most happy to watch it in October. Sarah, you are so pragmatic and such a nice person. I have to tell you. Just, yeah, watch Thanks. the movie whenever you want to. I mean, what, what a... what a Really? Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so closing it out here, let's do Judgment. Sarah, your reaction on the movie. Take it away. Okay, so I I think I mentioned this before. I liked the animation. I really loved the attention to detail. Storyline didn't entirely work for me. I felt like there was just, it was very abrupt. There were some things missing. Um, so I don't know that I would put this in my regular rotation. I would probably watch it again. Um, that whole, I, I love Lock, Shock, and Barrel, but their whole, like, kidnap the Sandy Claus thing was, like, the longest three minutes of my life. And I had to watch it twice because when I, I paused the movie there right after that, and then when I restarted it, it went back three minutes. So <laughs> if I never saw that again, I would be very happy. Um, Sarah, you do know that a fast forward button does exist, though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was I was multitasking. I didn't realize it went back too far that far. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like a 10 minute song. 
<laughs> it's only three. I looked it up, but it felt really long. Um, yeah, I, I, I do know that there's a fast forward button. But anyway. So would you yeah. recommend it to somebody else? I think I would. Okay. So, you, so- I, I think I would. Yeah, if nothing else, just to see the, the effort that was put into creating the film. And as a Tim Burton fan, where do you rank it among his... Again, he didn't direct it, but it is his brainchild. So, so where do you, where do you rank it? I would rank it pretty low. Like I, yeah. So like, and I don't know, maybe I need to rewatch some of his other, his other stuff. Cause I'm, I am thinking like, I love Beetlejuice. I love the, the old Batmans. Um, Coraline's really great too. I would pick all of those, I think over this. So I think I would rank it pretty low. I think it's hard to say because I love Michael Keaton. I'm like obsessed with him. So he is Beetlejuice and Batman. He is from Pittsburgh. Exactly. He is from Pittsburgh. So, okay. So if you would rank it to a Little Debbie snack cake and let's Mm -hmm. try to, you don't have to go within the three we talked to at the beginning, but maybe, you know, if if that works, what would you rank it? Mm. I, I think it would be the, the pumpkin spice roll. Like, I I would probably eat it if it was there. I don't don't know that I would seek it out. Um, I I think that the pumpkin spice roll is a great reaction because as we said before, I mean, that is a very specific in your face. You know that you are consuming it. To right. your point, it really cannot be an accident that you are eating that, you are seeking it out. So <laughs> yeah. I think that that's good. <laughs> and it's divisive. Is it pumpkin? Is it not? Is it Halloween? Is it Christmas? I, I think that that's excellent. And so I think you answered it a little bit earlier, but will it make your rotation? And if it does, when will it make your rotation? I don't think it will make my rotation. If it did, it would be a, a Halloween movie. Though, like I said, maybe I'll try it in, in November in, in between and see if maybe that's like... Because I don't know, like, I don't have anything to watch in between, like, Halloween and Christmas. Like, <laughs> what do you watch? Football. Um, that's what I watch. But I, I don't know. So maybe I'll throw it in there. But, you know, if I were... If I were given the choice between like that or like the Corpse Bride, I would pick the Corpse Bride. Another Tim Burton. Another Tim Burton, yeah. Awesome. Well, Sarah, I think it has been great kind of chatting about Nightmare Before Christmas. And yeah, definitely. It's definitely apropos for this Halloween Tuesday. Uh, so I guess maybe we answered our own question, even though I maybe feel a little bit different. This is Halloween Tuesday. So it's been. <laughs> Fun being... We'll just re-release it around Christmas. Yeah, it'll it'll be a second one. Yeah, that's um, fine. <laughs> anyway, but thanks so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Foreign and Familiar. Make sure that you connect and follow us on Instagram, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for eavesdropping on us. If you can't get enough of the Cousin Chronicles, head over to Instagram and follow at FauxFamPod for more in-depth info and behind-the-scenes details. Or email us at foreignfamiliarpod at gmail.com. Foreign and Familiar is a Flynn and Flynn production. The theme is Colorful by Allerly Von Nikolai.